Welcome into Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Casey Phillips and Scott Smith here. This is where we take all of your questions. If you're not already watching on the Facebook stream, head on over there, and that's where you can leave your questions for us in the comment section uh, as we give people a chance to head on over there and start asking some questions. Figured we'd just start with uh, some of the overall takeaways from the game in Nashville. Um, it was sort of a hard game to interpret at times of where, man, you, you, lots of mistakes that happened, but then you still have a lead, you know, late in the third, which I, based on how things have gone, I feel like that's sort of encouraging and not. It was just sort of a hard game to to figure out. And then you have the fumble at the end that turned into not a fumble and felt like it could have led to a very different storyline, how think, how that, you know, if that had gone differently. It would differently. have been nice to have had the lead with three minutes and four Yeah, that's kind of handy <clears throat> in the end of a football game, I've heard, to, yeah. to be ahead there. So just how, how have you now that you've got a chance to look back at it a little bit, um, diagnosed what all pros, cons, good, bad happened in that game? You know, during the game, the thing that struck me uh, in the first half was that every time it seemed like we were grabbing the momentum in some way, we gave it right back. Mm -hmm. It was really an error-filled and um, first half and a, a first half full of momentum swings. As an example, very first possession, you get the big pass interference call on Mike Evans, part of his huge day. You got a first and goal right away, and then you don't get the ball in the end zone. So momentum, momentum swing back. Right. First drive for Tennessee, the defense looks phenomenal. JPP has a sack on the very first play of the season for him. Again, it feels like, okay, we're taking control here. The next six plays after the punt were essentially all negative. It was like penalty, 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 uh, turnover, mm -hmm. penalty, touchdown. And that kept happening throughout the first half, and it started to feel like, man, this is going to be a long day. And then I will say, and I know I'm, I'm, I can't see quite what the comments are, but I'm – suspecting they're not going to be very very nice today. very happy today and I get that so nobody's going to want to hear me say the word encouraging I'm sure but it was encouraging to me that they did come back from that right all of those issues in the first half some of them self-inflicted some of them just bad luck you know some of them good play by Tennessee the touchdown right before the half on a nice drive Mike Evans had to make an amazing play to get us down there and then he scored the touchdown mm -hmm. on a really nice play by Jameis and then to get another touchdown right after the half that was a nice job of coming back. And it was a bit surprising at that point when the defense, which had given up very little, uh, the two touchdowns that Tennessee scored were drives of like four and five yards. Mm -hmm. uh, they'd given up very little. They gave up two extended drives that were 10 points, and that was a bit surprising at the time. And that's what has to change, right? right. You know, somebody has to make a play in those situations, especially on third down, which mm -hmm. is what Bruce Arians was talking about. You just, we gave up a couple third downs that we have to not do right? and stop that drive. But even then you're down by four and you still have a shot. And then the, the great play by Devin White on the fake field goal and what could have been a touchdown, but wasn't. And then of course the fourth down play that didn't work. And, and so you end up at the end of that game, I think, I think the the team felt worse at the end of that game than any other game this year except maybe the Giants, and probably worse because things have accumulated since then. Right. And the Giants game just left you one and two. This game leaves you two and five. Right. Uh, so a lot of emotional swings in that game, and, and again, at the end, it felt like really one other than the Giants game, it's the number one game that got away. Right. That you, at the end, you're like, how did we not win that game? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I know we've, we're probably going to get a million questions related to this topic, so we'll just start. Uh, David asked, uh, why was there not more of a push for help in the trade deadline? Well, again, it's the same, it's the same answer as always. I know it seems like the trade deadline and the week before, you know, there was a couple deals made. There was a lot of activity, but overall there really wasn't. How many teams actually – 
went out and got something mm-hmm. that helps them because there's not a whole lot of that available usually. Right. Right. I mean, a couple guys got receivers. A couple teams got receivers yet to be seen if Mohamed Sanu is going to be a difference maker in New England or or Emmanuel Sanders in San Francisco. Um, the, you know, I, I what they, I'm sure they would have liked to tackle a um, you know some offensive line help. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a cornerback who got one of those right you know Aqib Talib was traded but he's on injured reserve and he was basically right. it looked like a salary dump so the reason that there wasn't a lot done is because there's usually not a lot done yeah that's a great trade point deadline, especially not something substantive that helps a team that's two and five suddenly become a team that wins every week right um I saw a few people asking about Brashad Perriman and if that would have been someone that maybe could have been either you know traded or um, just the idea of what his value is trade, on the roster. Trade talks are easy when you're like, okay, right. I, I think we should trade Brett or Brashad Perryman for mm-hmm. X. Well, you got to get somebody to agree with you, right? Right. Um, so overall, we had, it, there were also a few people asking just about his value um, to the team moving forward, and I've, I've also seen a couple of people asking if um, there's a chance that you could move like an OJ or a Cam into that more of a true yeah. receiver spot. I, I think there's some value. Val- um, validity to that mm-hmm. uh you uh, the point is and i'm sure that person knows that our two starting receivers mike evans and chris godwin are the most productive duo of receivers in the nfl and it's not particularly close um and those guys are producing off the charts i mean it's amazing to me to think that mike evans is still on pace for about 1250 yards when so is chris godwin you would think there'd be a little give and take there uh, but I guess the give and take has come with everybody else. There, if you look at all of the people that have played third receiver for us, their combined output is very, very small. Uh, and and I agree, we have two tight ends at least, maybe even three, with Tanner Hudson who can do something and create mismatches in the passing game. And so, yeah, what you're basically talking about is playing, instead of playing as so much 11 personnel as we've been playing, playing more 12 personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then, yeah, you could flex a – you could – Push, and they do. You can put Cam or, or OJ out in a slot, right, and create mismatches. And the good thing about that also is when you when you do go out there in twelve, the defense usually responds with more of a base package than going to nickel. So right. you're you're going to have OJ or Cam in the slot, and what does he? What do they match up with him? It's usually a safety or a linebacker, mm-hmm. and that's of course they don't want to match him up with a cornerback because of the size problem. But right. you match him up, certain safeties and certain linebackers are going to have issues with the speed. Yeah, right. So yeah, there, I think there's a lot of validity in that, and hopefully OJ comes back quickly from his um, hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. I know Cam was a bit beaten up at the end of that game. So if those guys are available, I, I definitely think there's a lot of validity in that. Okay, and around that same position, we had, uh, Gene asked, what is the status on Tanner Hudson? Um, I guess he's just sort of meaning the role that he could play moving forward or how we felt that was his first game actually being yeah, uh, active this season. because OJ was out. Mm-hmm. I think every game they're going to go into it with the intention of having three active tight ends. We have four on the roster, and there's going to be three. Uh, Tanner was obviously active, and he's a pass-catching tight end. You remember from the preseason, he had an enormously good preseason, tons of numbers, and a lot of really like acrobatic catches. I mean, really showed off some amazing hands. But the storyline along the same time was he's still developing as a blocker. Right. Same thing that they've said about Cam throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's more likely to be your replacement for OJ when he's hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to keep Anthony O'Claire up because they love his blocking, and you need a guy like that for a lot of your two and three tight end sets. And then you have OJ and Cam, who are both good and proven pass catchers. So as long as those guys are healthy, Tanner's sort of just waiting his turn. Right. Right. But I, I do like him. 
I do like his potential. Mm -hmm. I was sad he didn't get that one touchdown, especially he's from Tennessee and his whole family was there. A lot of people there. I know that would have been. It was a it was a tough catch. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you're expected to make that catch, but maybe he would have. Um, Nick said, uh, looking at this first half of the season and the mistakes that have been happening, what do you think is the um, biggest issue that needs to be corrected, either for this season or for next year? Well, biggest issue. Just simply by the numbers, obviously the pass defense hasn't been good enough. Although it was quite a bit better, I think, in this last game. Uh, if you look at what the receivers for Tennessee did, it was about 50 yards. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't seem to have an answer, and I don't know if it was breakdowns or ma- mismatches or what for their two tight ends. They accounted for about 120 of their 240 yards, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I've, the biggest issue for this team, obviously, is the turnovers. Right. But that's not as simple as saying, okay, next year we have to have fewer turnovers. Yeah, There's a lot it's of not like they don't already know A lot of different that. things go yeah. into it. I mean, take one of the turnovers. The the first fumble that went off James's face mask on mm-hmm. the snap, Coach makes a point of, of telling us afterwards, and it seemed pretty obvious actually watching it, that really that wasn't James's fault because the snap came too early. Right. So then you think – well, that was then. That means it was the center's fault, Ryan Jensen's fault, because he snapped too early. Well, Harold Goodwin on a, one of the radio shows on Monday he was with you. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you know, he explained that when it's loud in a visiting stadium, you often have a system where the guy next to him, who's a guard who can look back and get the signal from the quarterback, mm-hmm. right, taps him, and then that tells him, okay, in a second, I snapped the ball. But didn't Harold say that he was whoever it was and didn't it was Allie? Okay. Yeah, he said that it was Allie. That Allie was trying to communicate something else because essentially Jameis had asked to change um, who was going to be on the mic and you know some of these matchups yeah. for yeah, blocking. Yeah. And Allie was trying to convey that to Jensen. So he was trying to get his attention. He was trying to get his attention, and in doing that, tapped him in a too similar way to the hey snap the ball right now so yeah it's just one of those fluke so, sort of things so yeah one of those things you, you blame yeah you say okay that was a turnover you shouldn't have and an easy touchdown for them but that's kind of a fluky thing right i mean yeah okay Allie knows maybe next time to try to tap him in a different way right, right. but that's not really like a problem you have to fix or the the last touchdown at the end of the game coach coach arian said after the game that the routes the route wasn't run right right and uh and dave moore who was on our broadcast on the radio was explaining that when it's when it's covered too like that that route is supposed to cut more in like more Mm -hmm. post and it didn't yep so yeah that makes it a lot harder to identify what all is going on that it's yeah if it's a different reason for every turnover it's hard to fix but mm -hmm. but i think there are things decision making better protection all that goes into Avoiding right. those situations. Yeah. Uh, Michael said, do you think it is more personnel or scheme that is causing the secondary problems? Uh, I don't think it's scheme, but it could be failure to execute the scheme. Right. Um, communi- in the last, before the, the last game, because we, we haven't talked to him yet, Todd, uh, Todd Bowles was talking about what they were trying to clean up in the secondary because the mm-hmm. you know, Carolina game wasn't great. Right. And, um, and he said the word communication several times. So I think there's a lot of times when, especially if you're in zones or whatever, you're you're, you're trying to communicate with each other. There was a play, the first touchdown for um, Tennessee in this last game was really, really easy. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see us struggle on all these first and goal plays from the four, and then they just do this really nice, easy play to the tight end, and you're like, right. well, that was awfully easy. Play. Right. Well, there was a breakdown in communication on that mm-hmm. one, and he essentially didn't get covered right. So... It doesn't really matter what the scheme is if they're not if getting not it right. It, yeah. right. Um, I think it's Jameer. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, 
said, <clears throat> well, do you ever see Ronald Jones getting more than 20 touches in a game? Well, 20 is a lot, by the way. Yeah. Just so you know. I think Derrick Henry, you would call him a bell cow back, right? He gets about 23 touches a game. Uh, Chris Carson for Seattle, I was just looking at his numbers. He gets about 23 touches a game. So 20 touches a game is a primary running back. I don't, Ronald Jones isn't close to 20 touches a game yet. So right. let's get to 20 first. But, yes, I can see him getting more. I thought there were several carries in the Tennessee game where he looked really sharp. Right. Um, the running game never really quite got going. I think we ended up with 106 yards, but 53 of those were Jameis scrambling. Right. Which he did a good job of, by the way. Um, yes, I can see Ronald Jones, his share of touches getting higher. Okay. Sure. Uh, Dennis asked, do you see Earl Watford taking over the starting position? And then we also had a couple other people just ask about the O-line overall and how we feel like they're playing. Yeah. Uh, no, I, w- I wouldn't think so because I thought they were pretty happy with Alex Kappa before he got hurt. So when Alex can return, um, I think he'll go right back in there. But it's nice to have Earl Watford, who's been solid in his, in, in his place. Um, the O-line, you know, ups and downs. It, there's been times this year when I think they've played really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wouldn't say we've had the performance of one of the best lines in the league or anything, but it hasn't right. been a disaster. Yeah. Um, we also had a few different people asking about the play calling overall, and do you see how much Bruce is or isn't involved, and then just overall how the offensive play calling seems to have gone. You know, when, when Bruce talks about some plays that went wrong, and sometimes, and, and all coaches say this, they'll come down to execution. You know, there wasn't really necessarily anything wrong with that play call. Right. Uh, it's just we didn't execute it very well. And then there's a few times when he'll say, I should have vetoed it. So, you know, Byron Leftwich is making the calls, but right. obviously Bruce is on the helmet. And you go, yeah, you know, I don't think we should do that. Yeah. And I'm sure the fact that he has said on several occasions, I probably should have vetoed that play, means there are times when he vetoes plays. Right. Also so um, he's involved in, in the offense, but Byron's still the play caller. I mean, the offensive output as a whole has not been terrible. Mm-hmm. And I understand there are moments like, the fourth and one carry that was so critical at the end of the game that we didn't get where people are going to second guess play calls and you're fine you're that's what you do as a fan there's nothing wrong with that that's part of the process that's part of the enjoyment you know you know oh that guy shouldn't have done that they should have done this whatever that's part of being a fan i get it i'm personally not a huge believer in second guessing play calls because i think generally you're doing it because it just didn't work Mm -hmm. my point would be the opposite of that would be saying, oh, that was a terrible play call, but it worked. Right. How often do you hear that? Right. You, you never hear that. You mm-hmm. only hear the opposite. Right. That was a terrible call because it didn't work. Right. Um, you know, I, don't get me wrong. There, there have to be times when coaches make bad calls. And maybe that fourth and one call was a bad call. I don't know. But most of the time... It really just, it's a play that didn't work, so therefore it looks like a bad call. Yeah. And take that fourth and one run. I know how I react to it emotionally on the moment. I don't like it. And I think part of that is because it's such a quick thing. Okay, you know this play is absolutely critical. If we don't get it, we're losing the game. You know that. Mm-hmm. So you're like, we have to make this play. And then it's snap, handoff, tackle, done. And you're like, that's it? Mm-hmm. If it had been something like uh, Jameis rolls out, he's got two levels, He's maybe he can run for it. Then as the play's developing, you're thinking, well, if something breaks down, maybe something else can happen. But that play could blow up, too. It t- took a little bit longer. And now you're thinking maybe we had a shot. But all comes down to that fourth. And according to Bruce, the fourth and one play didn't work because there was a missed block on the backside. Mm-hmm. OK, well, if you do that rollout play, I was just talking about it could not work because 
the Titan was supposed to release in this direction and he went too deep or something. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but I understand because it just happened so fast and then it's over and you're like, well, we had to have that and we ran straight into the line and nothing happened. Right. I yeah. Understandable. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks so much for being with us and we'll see you back here next week.